2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14 through 4, 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, and be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and when people will not endure... For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we simply just ask for you this morning to cause us to have uh, a deep love for your word, not because we've heard a sermon about your word, but because your word is awesome. Your word is incredible and your word um, is, is what we need for life. Your word is what we need for godliness. And so come now, um, speak to us in these moments as we study um, your word about your word and uh, cause us to want to um, pursue you this this year through reading your, your word. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Why should you love the word? As you can guess, we're doing spiritual disciplines. And mine today is the Bible. The spiritual discipline of Bible reading. That's what I'm wanting to uh, accomplish today. So why should you read the word? Namely, really, what I'm going at is why should you love the word? I think if you love the word, you'll read it. So why should you love the word? The reason why you should love the word mainly is so that you'll read it every day in order to make your soul happy in the Lord every day. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that, more of that later, but the goal of Bible reading is not just, not just knowledge in and of itself, not just to know the 12 tribes of Israel or not just to be able to tell the 12 disciples, etc., but mainly so that you can make your soul happy every day in the Lord. And so what we want to do is to love the word of God. The psalmist in one, Psalm 119 writes, uh, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. I hate falsehood, but I love your law. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. This is all from Psalm 119, various texts in Psalm 119. But you can see over and over how he just writes, how he just loves the word of God. And one of the main goals of today is that we would... Love the word of God. Now we just read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 uh, down through 4, 5. And there's really two main things I want you to know today. Uh, the first is in the chapter 3 part, 14 through 17, is that you are 
every Christian is called to keep learning and living in God's word. And then the four one through four five is that everyone is called to preach and teach the word of God faithfully. So we're going to look at those two things uh, today. But before we get started, um, I want to open up with uh, this one text from Jeremiah chapter eight, verse seven. It says this, even the stork and the heavens know her times and the turtle doves swallow and the crane keeps the time of their coming. But my people do not know the rules of the Lord. In this text, he's saying that the animals that God has ordained, the stork, the turtle dove, the swallow, the crane, they keep their time of the coming. But my people do not know the rules of the Lord. In the time of Jeremiah, these people had been um, sent off down over to Babylon. And as they were over in Babylon, exiled over there, uh, they became increasingly unaware of what God's word was. And while they were there, Jeremiah came to kind of understand what was the, the problem was, diagnose what was going on. And as he came over there, he saw that and made him sad that the people didn't know the word of God. And because they didn't know the word of God, they didn't obey the word of God. And he writes, even the animals... Even the animals are obeying the word of God by what he's caused them to do. And yet his people, because they don't know the word of God, are not obeying the word of God. And as he sees that, it certainly could be a, a diagnosis for our, for our uh, time today is the reason why we don't see Christians obeying the word of God the way that they should is because they don't know the word of God. Lifeway Research uh, they do a lot of different research projects, but one of the things that they said they did recently is this. They showed that Bible engagement or Bible reading is the number one spiritual discipline for growth in, in, in the word and in, in, in your Christian life. Bible reading is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. The second thing they said is Bible engagement affects every other discipline. So we're doing we're doing four spiritual disciplines right now. This these next four weeks. Um, Bible reading is the way to do the next three that we're going to have. As a matter of fact, every single thing that we all want to grow in, in our spiritual walk, if we think about, we want to go more, give more, serve more, evangelize more, love more, be in a community group more, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that we know that we need to improve in fast more Bible reading is the way to make all of the other spiritual disciplines blossom. Whenever I, I'm a pastor, whenever I, and you know that, but whenever, sorry, whenever I uh, usually counsel people and I'm talking with people and they're telling me, you know, recently my spiritual walk just feels like I just don't feel it anymore. I just feel kind of like blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll as well, I'll go, I'll say, tell me about how, tell me about how your Bible reading is going. Well, you know, it's not going that great. I haven't really read too much. In most cases, now I know there's some exceptions, but in most cases, the reason why you might feel blah in your spiritual walk is because you're not reading the Bible. Bible reading literally affects every other spiritual discipline there is. You'll go more, you'll give more, you'll serve more, you'll evangelize more, you'll fast more, you'll every whatever you want to say more if you're reading the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible then you won't do those things as much. Bible reading is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. So why would we not do it? Why would we not? Most of the things you want to change about your spiritual walk with Christ, 
your sanctification will change if you read the Bible. So resolve to read the Bible this year. I've got at least six different Bible reading plans out on those tables in the lobby. Um, from reading the whole Bible in a year to reading the New Testament in a year to reading the Bible over the next six months. It doesn't matter to me what plan you pick. It, it, if you pick just, I'm just going to pick the New Testament this year. Great. I'm just going to pick the, a six months reading journal. Great. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like it really, the Lord's totally pleased with whatever you pick. Um, if you want to pick the, the chronological one where you, you read as everything unfolds and you kind of, you're all over the place. Great. I mean, I, I'm fine with anything. You don't have to get a piece of paper. You probably can just pull up the Google and, and tell it Bible reading plans and it's all on your phone. Fine. But the main point of it all that we're trying to get at today is that you would understand, especially as the elders are wanting to lead grow 2020. Like we want, we want you to really buy into the fact that we want to all grow in the year 2020, both spiritually, numerically, in every physical sense or spiritual sense that the church needs to grow. The key way that we're going to do it is because we're all reading the Bible every day this year. So, if we look at the text, what I want you to see here um, in the first part is the first charge from Paul. From uh, chapter 3, 14 through 17, one of the goals today is that you would be so bought in that you would love the Bible so much that you have to start reading it every single day. So 314 to 317, you can go ahead and put up number one, charge one. Continue learning and living in God's word. Those are two different things. I'm going to talk about both of them. But continue learning and living in God's word. But as for you, he's looking at Timothy. So um, in light of the evil men that have been trying to persuade you, Paul, at the end of his life, uh, knows he's going to be dying soon. On house arrest, uh, at least, maybe even in jail as he's, as he's doing this, looks back at Timothy, who is his, whom is a spiritual son that he loves. He's, he's wanting to pass along some, some last truths to this spiritual son of his, who's also a pastor. And he's telling him in light of all these things. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it. Continue in what you have learned. This is an exhortation to continue in being a lifetime learner of the Bible. Continue in what you have learned. Be a lifetime learner of the Bible. This is the same exhortation to us. We are always to continue in what we have learned. There's, there's not a moment where we finally like, okay, I got the Bible down. You don't have the Bible down. I don't have the Bible down. None of us do. And so the exhortation to continue in what you have learned is to read it over and over and over and over. Here's the amazing thing about reading the Bible. You could read the same text every day for a year because the Holy Spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit has written this word along with God. Every time you read it, it has the same meaning, but you can, you'll find a new, that God wants to give you a new application over and over and over to whatever's going on in your life at that moment. So continue being a learner as Spurgeon. I've read this so many times because it's so good, but this is how Spurgeon says the Bible should be a part of our lives. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leafy consume it. So it ought to be with us uh, in the word. We don't just crawl over the surface of the pages. 
We don't just crawl over the surface, but instead we eat right into it until we've taken the Bible itself into our inmost parts. It is idle merely just to let the eye glance over the words or just recollect poetical expressions or historical facts. We don't just read it and kind of, you know, get some of the things or hear the poetry and just be like, okay, I got it. That's good. Instead, he said, does don't do that. But it's blessed instead to eat the very soul of the Bible until at last you come out and start speaking in spiritual language. Your very style of your language is fashioned upon scriptural model, models. And what is better, your spirit is flavored with the words of God. Have your very soul where it is. What people say, why this man or this one is a living Bible. Stick him anywhere. And his language is Bible. He, he bleeds the Bible. The very essence of the Bible flows from this man. He cannot speak without even quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. This is what it means to be a continual learner of the Bible. That whenever we talk, all we do is end up speaking in Bible passages. I think that if we're honest, that's what we want. We have a lot of distractions, but if we're honest, that's what we want. And we should, we should strive for that continually. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. And he keeps going. Be ever mindful of how you've learned it. And then it says in 15, and from childhood, from childhood. Now, this is Paul talking to Timothy, a spiritual son. And from childhood, how you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is scripture. This is the Bible. And he's telling Paul, Paul is telling Timothy how from childhood you've been acquainted. Now this word acquainted uh, is oidos in the Greek and acquainted isn't the, it's, it's an okay translation. It's an okay. I, I love the ESV, but it's okay. Um, so I would say when you're looking at the word acquainted here, it's not just Kind of like you're, you're like, we think of acquaintance as like, you're not really my friend, but we kind of know each other. When we see each other, we're like, hey, how you doing? And like, yeah, how's the football game? And that's about it. Like, and so we kind of take that word acquaintance and we just put it in here, how you've been acquainted. It's oidos. So it's, it's really the word no, but it's not just no, like I have a knowledge of something. Like I understand history because I read about, you know, World War One or something like that. It's, it's more than that. It's being aware of something but it's also beholding it. So I'm aware of it, but I'm also in my mind intentionally wanting to behold it as well. So he's, he's saying that whenever you, um, from childhood, you have been aware of it, but you've also, in the process of growing up the Bible, you've decided mentally to behold the scriptures. So it's knowing, but it's also calling to remembrance as you know it, you're also remembering and making a volitional decision to appreciate. So this is what this word acquaintance is, oidos, is, is, is awake, being aware but beholding. It's knowing but also remembering, appreciating. So take all that and import it back into what he's saying at, to Timothy. And he's saying, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. From a childhood till your pastoral, maybe you're 30 or so now, from childhood to 30, your whole life has been where you have been aware but beheld. You've known but remembered and appreciated. This is not just learning, but living in the Word of God. This is being living the kind of life where you have to continually live in it. So just ask yourself, what would it mean for you not just to learn the Word of God, but to literally live in the Word of God every day? What would that look like for your life? Would your life be different right now if you learned and lived in the Word of God every day? The charge that we have for us is to continue learning and living in 
God's word every day. This is what God wants from us. Not just to learn it, but to literally live in it every day. As, as Timothy has from childhood, from Paul teaching him and his mother and his grandmother, until now, he's been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are, which are able. So now he's changed from a charge in 14 and 15 to learn and live in God's word. And now when he switches right there in the middle of 15, which are, he's going to explain to us things about the Bible. He's, he's already made this charge to Timothy that he needs to learn God's word, live in God's word. And now he's going to basically tell him why. Here's why. Here's what the Bible does. And he's going to really kind of do two things here. He's going to tell us the nature of the scriptures, the essence of the scriptures. There's things that there's, there's three things about the scriptures that you should know that, that give them their foundation and make them up. But he's also going to tell us and explain to us the sufficiency of the scriptures. So he's going to give us the nature of the scriptures. All that is right there in uh, 15b through 17. He's, there's two categories of things he's going to do. Explain the nature of the scriptures and explain the sufficiency of the scriptures. So let's look at both of those. Nature of the scriptures. Which are, we'll read the whole text, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we see that he's going to, they're, they're going to help us understand soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. That they're able to make you wise for salvation. Soter is just a Greek word for salvation. So we're going to understand how to be saved through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So we see that scripture comes from God and is profitable for teaching. So here's some of the things it does. It does these things. It, it teaches us. It reproves us, corrects us, trains us for righteousness so that the man of God can be uh, complete and equipped for every good work. So as we look at that, it tells us there's three things. There's three things about the scriptures that make it up. The essence of it. Number one, that they're Christ-centered, gospel-centered. The nature of the scriptures, you can see right there. And the end of 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So one of the things about the scriptures, the nature of the scriptures is that they're totally Christ centered slash totally gospel centered. As Jesus tells us, I, I mean, I, I think I've referenced this three weeks in a row, but I'm going to do it again. John chapter five, verse 39, as he's looking at the Pharisees, Jesus says this to him. I almost did it again. I almost read John six. All right. John five thirty nine. He's looking at it because you search the scriptures because you think that in them you can have eternal life, which that's true. And then he says this. It is they, the scriptures that bear witness about me. Now, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures at this time. But of course, it, it, it's true about the New Testament. Jesus is saying the whole Bible is about me. So the nature of the scriptures is this is that they are completely about Jesus. So when we're reading, if, if we're told to read the scriptures every day, to be a lo- lifetime learner and living in God's word, one of the things that we know about it, the nature of the scriptures is that they're thoroughly Christ-centered. Well, that informs the way we read, right? So that means whenever we read, we aren't thinking the Bible's all about me. It's God's love letter. So I'm just going to read these scriptures and I'm just going to get my, my, uh, my warm fuzzies from God today because it's all about me when I read this. God needs me to know how awesome I am. No, 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 no. You, you're awesome. I love you. But the Bible is about Jesus and namely how he has saved us. So when we read it, we don't read it in such a way to see how we're the hero of our readings. We read it in such a way to see how Jesus is the hero of everything. So the nature of the scripture is that it's thoroughly 
Christ-centered, thoroughly gospel-centered. If you keep reading, the second thing that it tells us, it's right there in 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Theo, God, noustos, breathed out. So this Theo noustos, it's literally breathed out by God, which means the doctrine of inspiration. Inspiration isn't that, <laughs> I teach New Testament at, at Charleston Southern for a long time. And in one little place in the in beginning of the scriptures, they have to write about the, the doctrine of inspiration. And they always say like, I'm so inspired by the Bible. The Bible, when I read it, just inspires me. And that's, that's not what it means. The doctrine of inspiration is how the original writers were inspired by God to write the scriptures. It's not about how ins- inspired you feel when you read the Bible. Um, but they always say, oh, man, it's so good. That we're, we're on a forum. It inspires me big time. So the doctrine of inspiration means this. Second Peter one twenty one, men spoke. So people uh, Timothy, uh, or not Timothy, Paul, Luke, John, um, David, all the writers, men spoke. Now, they all had different education levels and ability at grammar. Mark, terrible at grammar. Real, just real bad. Luke, genius, right? Genius. He uses more hypoxagomena. He uses more like th- th- their words you can only find once in the Bible. He uses more than anybody. Like, Luke, what are these words you're making up? What do they even mean? Um, but they're, they're Greek, apparently. So... Everybody, we don't get to see that in the English. So when we read in the English, we just read it and they all, all the books sound the same. That's because they've all, the Greek and Hebrew has all been smoothed out for us by translators. If you go back to Hebrew and Greek, you see how bad and how good writers are and, and even their education levels. So men spoke, Second Peter one twenty one from God, meaning God let them as they write the Bible have their own education level and their own ability to write words, etc. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we say Theonustos, God breathed, this doesn't mean that the writers just went into some kind of trance and just typed it out like God says to write this like robots. That's not what it is. God let them write the Bible with their own personalities, with their own idiosyncrasies, with their own um, ability levels. And... But nevertheless, they were still carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was still Theonustos, breathed out by God. Which means the Bible's fully inspired by God. Men wrote. So as we read it, we still realize men wrote this, but these are God's words. These are God's words. Totally trustworthy. Should be accepted as, as right. So I, you face a situation. I just don't feel like I should have to do this. The Bible says you should have to do this. Discussion's over. Well, I don't have to figure it out anymore. It's like, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to, or the Bible says I'm not supposed to. I don't have to wonder anymore because here it is. Because God said it and God's always right. Theonoustos. And the next thing is this, which I'll unpack a little bit more. But it says, breathed out by God and, and now notice all the things the Bible says that it does. It's Christ-centered, it's God-breathed, and it's also totally sufficient. Totally sufficient. It does these things. The Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God, and this is the generic man, so this is anybody, may be complete, equipped for every good work. May be complete and equipped for every good work. This means the Bible in and of itself is all you need. Um, We are desperate for some reason 
to supplement God. God, I just cannot figure out your will for my life. God, I just don't know what you need for me to do next. God, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I need to, outside of the Bible, go to something else to find it, to bring it in so that I can know your will or know what you need for me to do. We're, we're, we're desperate for inspiration or God's will, etc. Outside of the Bible, this is wrong. The Bible is all we need. The, the canon has been closed, that God has spoke. He's told us in Revelation not to add anything at all. And so we have the Bible and it is everything that we need. Sufficiency of scripture is maybe one of, I think, the, the most misunderstood and misapplied for sure things in our life. It just means this. The Bible has everything that you need in order to know what to do in your life. To know what to, it doesn't tell you what to eat for lunch, right? It doesn't do that. That's not how it works. But it does um, help us. It does tell us everything that we need in order to follow him. We, he, God is not just like fretting, saying, oh, I need to, if there was just more that I could give so that they would know what to do. That's not the case at all. He's given us the scriptures and that they are totally sufficient. As in, you don't need anything else besides the Bible. It's totally sufficient in and of itself to help us, you and I, know what we're supposed to do. So the three things about the Bible is that they're Christ-centered, gospel-centered, God-breathed, and totally sufficient. Those are the nature of the Scriptures. Now, the second thing I said is that we, we talk about the sufficiency of the Scriptures, um, what, what the Scriptures do. And I want to talk about that. There's, there's things you can see, which I already read right here in, in verses 16 and 17, profitable they make you wise for salvation, which is in uh, 15. Um, they're profitable for teaching, profitable for reproof, profitable for training to be holy. And they make us able to do his good work. So you can go ahead and put, put all those up, all five. Um, make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So uh, if one wants to know how to be saved, how they can have a right relationship with God, be restored back, the Bible is where they go. Uh, we don't need, you've heard, probably heard tons and times of people just reading the Bible. And as they're reading the Bible, they come to faith in Christ Jesus because the Bible does that. It is able to help you understand how to be saved. It's also profitable for teaching. If there's anything that needs to be taught to you regarding anything, then the Bible will do it. It's profitable for a proof and correction. So um, the one of the best ways that you can uh, learn what your sins are, and then also not just learn what they are, but for some, something to come alongside you and say, hey, stop doing that is the Bible. Now, we're supposed to do that as well. We're commanded by God. If someone in our family or in our community group or in our church is in sin, we're to go to them, right? But whenever we go to them, we want to bring the Bible with us. We want to say, hey, I see this in your life. I'm not perfect. I've got these things. Look, at here's my stuff too. So I'm not coming here as a perfect person. But whenever we want to show someone that's something that's got, they got something serious in their life, we need to bring the Bible and point it to them in the Bible and say, here's what I see you're doing. It's, it's profitable for reproof and correction, profitable and training to be holy. And it also helps us be competent and equipped uh, this is super equipped uh, is what it means. Makes the man super equipped to do his good works. It's kind of like the idea of a superhero. You're all Marvel comic characters. You're all awesome is basically what he's saying. Not like better than Jesus, but you know what I mean. Um, so uh, it, here's what the Bible does. It makes us aware because it's totally sufficient about all these things. What more is there? We know how to be saved. 
the Bible teaches us about everything we need to know about God. It reproves and corrects us when we're in sin. It leads us, not just pulls us away towards sin, but it takes us in towards holiness and it makes us competent and equipped to do all the good works that the Lord has already prepared. As Ephesians 2.10 says, it's already, it makes us competent and equipped to, to figure out how to, how to live life in order to do these good works. What else do we need? The Bible is totally sufficient. So how does it equip us for every good work? This is, this is what Piper says. How the scripture equips us for every good work. The scripture day after day, and this is why day after day Bible reading is so important. Not uh, sporadic, you know, seek and destroy. I'm going to read Isaiah 16 today. Uh, and then, you know, six months from now, I'm going to read, you know, not those, not those. Pick a book, read through it. And when you're done, go to the next one. So the scripture day after day, this is what it does, reveals to us the greatness and the beauty and the power and the wisdom and the mercy of all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. So that by the power of the spirit, we find our joy in him and the ways of sin now have become distasteful, indeed, ugly and repugnant. Yes, the Bible gives us many specific pointers how to live. But most deeply, the way the Bible equips us for every good work is by changing what we find satisfaction in so that our obedience comes from within freely, not by coercion from without. So if you, and I I experienced this as well, day by day, don't find within your heart a desire to want to do things that please Jesus Follow after Christ. You don't find delight in Jesus, but instead you find delight in worldly things. You find delight in doing things that you that we, we shouldn't. Reading the Bible literally changes the way that we find our satisfaction. And now the ways of the world become distasteful, ugly, repugnant. And we find our satisfaction in obeying God freely, not by coercion. It does this when we read it and meditate on it and memorize it and meditate on it every day. That's what Piper says. I think it's very helpful. Stott just says it this way. Scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God into maturity. It's the chief means. All other spiritual disciplines in our lives hinge on this. This is the starting point and the continuing point and the ending point of all that's going on in our lives. We have to, we have to be people of the word every day. So grab a reading plan, download it right now on your app. Um, Be in the word every single day. If you miss a day, don't quit and beat yourself up and just say, forget it. I missed a day. I'm never going to do it again. Like go back to it the very next day, every day, every day, as much as you can. If you miss, keep going. That's charge one. Charge one is to continue learning and living in God's word. Charge two, starting in 401 is from Paul is to, you're going to put it up. Preach and teach the gospel and word faithfully. Preach and teach the gospel and word faithfully. I'm not going to get too much into this because I don't want to bleed over into some of the stuff that's coming uh, in the following weeks. But he says, this is Paul telling a pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus. This is definitely a solemn environment. He's charging him in in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing. He tells him this, preach the word. This is herald or be a messenger, announcer, a proclaimer, a town crier. 
preach the word, preach the Bible, preach the gospel, which we've, we've talked about everything that that means. Preach, preach that, the thing that everybody should be putting their hope in and the only hope that they have. Preach the word. And he says, as Luther, if we're just going to concentrate on preach the word, as Luther says, I simply taught, preached God's word. I wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the word. When distress has come, spread the word. Let it alone do the work. So we have unbelievable trust in the word of God. Let the work do the work, the word. No, let the word do the work. Sorry. We, we preach the word and it, it does the work because we've already been told in 314, 317, everything that it does. You, this means like I can tell people what the Bible says. And I can just kind of step back and let it do it. It's either going to overtake their heart by the power of the spirit and convince them, wow, God is good. God is great. Um, he, look, look what he can do for my life, etc." Or it's, the same message is going to hit their heart and they're going to say, no, I don't want to hear this at all. This is what the point of uh, the Corinthians when it says, whenever we speak, it either is hitting a heart that's ready to listen or not. Same message. So we see this. Preach the word. And then he tells us when to preach the word. Be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. John Stott, looking at this, says that we should think about this in four ways. We should preach it with urgency. When we preach the word, we need to do it urgent with urgency. Richard Baxter says, Men will not cast away their dearest pleasure, sinful pleasures with a drowsy request where you don't even seem to mean what you say or care whether your request to trust Christ should be answered. So do it with urgency. Also, relevancy. The Bible's totally relevant. Some are doubters and, and need truth. Some are sinful and need rebuke. Some are full of fear and need encouragement. God work, God's word does all of this. It also says, do it with patience. Patience is not the opposite of urgent. So we should still be urgent and patient at the same time. This means that we can trust the Lord to do his work and his time. Our responsibility is to be faithful to continually to endure with people. If they're not trusting Christ, it's not like we preach the word to them once and we're like, okay, you heard it. I'm done. Next person. We, we stay with them. And also we should do it with intelligence, meaning wisdom and care. There's a balance between uh, saying it with, with wisdom and care and urgency and all these things. So urgency, relevancy, patience, and intelligence. And it says to do this as it says, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach when it's convenient. Preach when you have the time. Preach when they want to hear it. Preach when they're receptive. Uh, preach when they really like the message. That's in season. And preach it out of season. Preach it whenever it's inconvenient. Preach it when you're out of time. Preach it when they don't want to hear. Preach it when they are not receptive. Preach it when they don't like the message. Preach the word in season and out of season, both of those. We don't just do it in season, but preach the word in season and out of season. Now watch these, watch what he says here. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This reprove and rebuke, if you look up into chapter 16, I'm sorry, 316, the, the Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof and correction, training in righteousness. These are almost similar words. So as it's showing that, it's showing us that um, we, we preach the word as we're doing it, and it's telling us to reprove and rebuke. That's the same thing that it's telling us the word does. So whenever we reprove and whenever we rebuke, it means we're, we're only preaching the word and the word's doing the work. So we, we do this in season and out of season. 
in season obviously is easier, easier, out of season is much more difficult. So whenever we reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, we want to do this pastorally, meaning um, we care. It's obviously that people, it's obvious to people that we care about them. These things are done uh, not just giving our opinions and not just our thoughts, but instead we're telling them the word. We're doing it in a, in a Christ-centered, God-honoring way as we're telling them. We're not preaching towards behavior modification. We're telling them the gospel so that they trust in Christ and they realize that they can't bonify their behavior, but their only hope is Jesus. We also do it patiently, um, meaning that we realize it's usually not one sermon or one conversation that changes a heart. But instead, it's the cumulative effect of many sermons, many conversations that you've had with someone for a, a while that seemingly will bear fruit in someone's life. So it tells us, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For, here's why. Here's why. Theology is super important. For, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The time is coming when people will not listen to the truth of God's word. And when they do that, this is what they'll do. But, having itching ears, this means um, ears that don't want to hear truth, Ears that want to hear just whatever they want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. Tell me the thing that I like that makes me feel good. Itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So they don't want to hear people that will just tell them the Bible because that's the truth. They have itching ears. So they say, I don't want to hear this or this person preach the word. I want to find the one that will just tell me what I like. That makes me feel good. That, uh, that never ever talks about sin. That never makes me feel bad about things that I'm doing. That doesn't teach truth, but teaches falsehood. I want to accumulate those people around me. Uh, and I, I won't be able, as Stott says, they won't be able to bear with the truth. But instead, they will accumulate teachers that teach them things that are not true. As it says, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This word passions is, is in the negative sense and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They will wander off into myths. They will follow wrong theologies, wrong ideologies, unbiblical things. They will follow after those things. And so what's the answer? What's the answer to when that happens? The answer is why we must continually proclaim the gospel faithfully and consistently and pastorally and patiently and theologically. Why? Here it is. Verse 5. Here's the answer. As for you, Timothy, you're a pastor, and this applies to all of us. When those things happen, as for you, always be sober-minded. So don't, don't forsake truth. Be sober-minded. Know what the Bible says. Don't be one of the itching ear pastors, but instead be sober-minded. Think about what the scriptures say and stick to that and just trust the Lord and his word. Not only don't, don't just be sober-minded, but endure suffering. Whenever you're not an itching ear pastor, whenever you're not an itching ear congregant telling them whatever, then you will, you will experience suffering. Endure through that. Don't run away or change, but instead um, endure and then it tells, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
when people don't want to listen to the truth of God's word, whenever they wander off into myths, whenever they accumulate for themselves uh, teachers that will suit their own passions, be different. Instead, stay the course. Speak the Lord's word. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So endure through suffering. Work as the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. As it says, charge number two, preach and teach the gospel and the word faithfully. Maybe that's happening in America these days. Maybe it's not. Um, Time will tell whether it will get worse or not. But our, uh, our charge from God remains the same. That we are not to do these things, but instead to stay in the word of God and continually teach it. I want to conclude this way. This is an illustration from George Mueller's life um, to help us want to be in the Word every day. George Mueller, a pastor that lived about 100 years ago in England, um, he was famous for caring for thousands and thousands of orphans and seeing God answer daily prayers all the time for, for provision. He never asked for money. He would just pray and he would get funded. Um, and so he gave a sermon whenever he was... Uh, 59 years old at uh, a New Year's service. This, we're, this is January 5th. Uh, so close to the time period of what we're in right now. And it's a powerful call for us to want to continue in the word every day. This is what he says uh, in his sermon about 100 years ago. We have, through the goodness of the Lord, been permitted to enter in another year. And the minds of many among us will no doubt be occupied with plans for the future We have various fears of work and service for the Lord. Similar for us, we're in a new year. We all have different things we want to accomplish this year. Uh, We have have big plans for this year. We have similar plans that we did last year for this year. All kinds of things going on. And he says, if our lives will be spared, we shall be engaged in those things like the welfare of our families, the prosperity of our businesses, our work, our service for Christ may be considered most important matters to be attended to, which are important things. These are all important things for our life. The Lord commands us to, to, if you're a husband, to take care of your family. The Lord commands us to work, Colossians 3.17, heartily for the Lord. The Lord tells us to do these things. So these things are good things. They're not bad things. And so, but he's saying it could be, uh, as we go to this year, these things that, that are good things, that we could focus in on those things and make those things the most important things of the year. And he's cautioning toward us towards that. He says this, we could make these things the most important matters to be attended to, but... According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Here it is. Above all things, every day, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. This is the most important thing you can do every day. Other things will press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things, good things, no doubt, all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. The most important thing that we can do every day is to have our soul happy in Christ. Then we will be good workers. Then we will be good family members. Then we will do a good job for the Lord. But the most important thing is to make our souls happy in him every day. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. 
For the first four years of my conversion, I didn't know its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I especially commend this point to notice, especially to my young brothers and sisters in Christ. The secret of true, effectual service to God is joy in God. But in what way shall we attain to this settled happiness of soul? How is it that we're going to do that? Make our soul happy in God. How should we learn to enjoy God? How should we obtain such an all-satisfying, all-sufficient portion in Him as to enable us to get through the things of this world that are vain and worthless in comparison? I answer, the happiness is to be obtained. Here it is. If we're supposed to make our souls happy in God, He's going to tell you how. Here it is. This happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures because God has therein revealed Himself Unto us, specifically in the face of Jesus Christ. So the way that we do it is by being in the scriptures every day. In the scriptures, by the power of the Holy Ghost, he makes himself known unto our souls. Therefore, the very earliest portion of every day we can command should be devoted to the meditation on the scriptures. Our souls should feed upon the word. This intimate acquaintance with him will truly make us happy. Nothing else will. In God our Father and the blessed Jesus, our souls have a rich, divine, imperishable, eternal treasure. Let us enter into practical possession of these true riches. Yea, let the remaining days of our earthly pilgrimage be spent in an ever-increasing, devoted, earnest consecration of our souls unto God. And I would just add, who might I add to Mueller, by being in the Word every single day. So, let's do this. I put these five little conclusions up. Let's hear the word. Read the word. These are all the things that we can do with the word. Study the word. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. We hear the word preached. We hear the word read to us. That's important. Read the word ourselves. This is whenever we have a concentrated of just us with the Lord. But we also study the word. We don't just read it, but we also take an extra portion sometime in our day where we do even more study, connecting cross-references with that particular text. You're, all, all of your Bibles have that. When you're reading, it has a tiny, you've got to have like a magnifying glass, but usually it'll have like a tiny little A or B or Z or something in, a, in your column or down below. It'll have a little cross-reference and it'll tell you, go to Isaiah 9.14 for this. And you go to Isaiah 9.14. This is the study and read what it says and connect things. Memorize. You should pick a book or a set of verses and and memorize it. It may take you three years to memorize five verses and that's okay. God's not like got a, a timetable on your memorization, but you should be doing it. Meditate. So I've said this a bunch of times, but just so we know. Christian meditation is not like any other meditation. Every other meditation is where you empty your mind to achieve what I don't know, whatever you achieve. I don't know. Christian meditation is not emptying of the mind. It's the filling of the mind. Take the Bible and fill the mind with as many scriptures as you can. And then just soak in it. Your, your brain is a sponge that's dry. The Bible's the water. And you just take your, your brain and you soak it down in the Bible. And you just think on that one verse for a long time. Just what does it mean to think about Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. 
there will never be a moment where God condemns me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm in Christ. And so because I'm in Christ, there's no condemnation. Never. And just over and over, you meditate on that one scripture. That's just an example. Meditate on the word. Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. So how are you going to pursue Christ and study this year? You might not have an answer. That's fine. Just think about it. Write that question down. How am I going to pursue Christ and study this year? What specifically needs to change in your life for you to learn and live in God's word? Earlier bedtime. Get up earlier. Cut out something in your day. Um, you can't get rid of your children, right? You can't get rid of your family. You can't get rid of your job. So that, that, those things are like in the schedule. What are some things that can't uh, come out of the schedule? What are some things that can come out of the schedule? What needs to change in order for you to learn and live in God's word? How can you worship and rejoice over the scriptures every day? How can you worship and rejoice in the scriptures every day? Who can you herald the word, this news to? Who's somebody in your life you can herald this news to? Who can you share the gospel with? Um, Will you share the gospel both in season and out of season this year? Will you? Let's be people who live in and learn, learn and live in God's word. And let's be people who preach and teach the gospel faithfully. Let's pray.